Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Wellbeing Wednesdays. I'm your host, Courtney Weaver. Uh, I'm by myself today and it's actually going to be the last podcast of the semester. So hopefully y'all are prepping for finals and getting ready for that final push. So today I thought I would talk a little bit about sleep hygiene and sleep disorders because sleep is a really critical element of our health. So a lot of the information I got today is from the CDC's Sleep and Sleep Disorders team, and I'll link to their website in the uh, description for the podcast. So why should we like talk about sleep? Why is sleep so important? So according to the Sleep Foundation, sleep is an essential function that allows our body and mind to recharge, leaving you feeling refreshed and alert when you wake up. So healthy sleep also helps the body remain healthy and stave off diseases. And without enough sleep, the brain cannot function properly, which can then impair your abilities to concentrate, think clearly and process memories. So, hmm, I wonder if all of those things would be helpful as a student. I think they would be. So that's why sleep is so critical. And I'm pretty sure that we've talked about sleep in the past, but it was probably from a... 2019, 2020 episode. So that's why we're talking about it again, just because it's so important. In terms of the amount of sleep that you need every night, it actually varies by age. So for example, newborn babies need anywhere between like 14 to 17 hours of sleep per day. But adults aged 18 to 60 years old, the CDC recommends that you get between, well, seven or more hours per night. You'll often hear the expression like seven to nine hours, and that's a good rule of thumb, but technically they don't put an end on the amount that you actually need. But for example, if you are a teenager age 13 to 18, you actually need eight to 10 hours. Um, and then younger children need like between nine and 12 hours. When we talk about getting quality sleep, something that you've probably heard is the term sleep hygiene. And so if you're unfamiliar with what that means, basically sleep hygiene is good sleep habits um, that help you get a good night's sleep. So it's very, very simple. And so what does good sleep hygiene look like? So first of all, just like when your parents or family uh, members sleep trained you as an infant, like you need to sleep train yourself as an adult and it takes work and it takes time. So one of the things that you can do is you set a bedtime that is early enough for you to get at least seven to eight hours of sleep. So there's a website called sleepeducation.org and they have a bedtime calculator that you can use to determine when your best bedtime would be and basically by inputting the time that you wake up in the morning. I'll put a link to that in um, the description of this episode. Another key step to good sleep hygiene is don't go to bed unless you are sleepy and then if you don't fall asleep after 20 minutes of being in bed, it's recommended that you actually get out of bed and go and do a quiet activity without a lot of light exposure. So like don't hop on your phone or don't turn on the television, but maybe read a book or do some light stretching or just, yeah, just like do some meditation or something similar, but don't, don't get on your phone. You also want to make sure that you have the optimal sleep environment. So you want to make um, certain that your bedroom is quiet that it's dark, it's relaxing, and it's at a comfortable temperature. So generally, the optimal sleep temperature is 65 degrees, but everyone's different. Everyone, you know, likes to, some people like to sleep hot. I certainly don't. I want it like frigid in my room, but that's really up to you. But in general, the cooler, on the cooler side is more optimal. Now, 
If you're living in a rest hall and you have a roommate uh, who are sharing the same bedroom space as you, and let's say you have different types of sleep schedules, something you do is try using a sleep mask that'll block out light. And then you can also get some fairly comfortable earplugs to drown out any kind of excess noise that you might hear. You also want to remove electronics from your bedroom. So things like TVs, computers, and mobile phones. You should not watch television or use your phone in bed. You should not study in bed. Really, there are only two things that you should do in bed, and one of them is sleeping. But in terms of electronics, there are issues with blue light. And so that can sort of trick you into thinking that it's still kind of daytime. So a good rule of thumb is to turn off all electronic devices at least 30 minutes before you go to bed. The next thing is to be consistent. So you want to go to bed at the same time each night and you want to get up at the same time each morning, um, including on the weekends, which is kind of tough. But there's that whole idea of catching up on sleep and it's largely a myth because there's not really a sleep bank that you can like store extra sleep in and then you can draw on a little bit later. You also want to watch your caffeine intake, especially before bedtime. So caffeine affects people differently. Some people have are really sensitive to it. Other people aren't. So you'll know yourself best. But as a rule, it's it's not recommended to drink caffeine, you know, later in the day, like in the late afternoon and evening. And then you also might want to avoid large meals before bedtime just because digestion takes energy and all that kind of stuff. And then and you also want to avoid alcohol. And so I know, you know, people are always like, well, alcohol helps me fall asleep. And well, yes, it actually can help you fall asleep, but it's the quality of your sleep is greatly diminished because it interrupts um, your different sleep cycles. And so the sleep that you're getting is not restful. So you want to avoid drinking before bed. Another thing that might help you unwind and, and get you sleepy is to try and establish like a relaxing bedtime routine. So let's say you want to go to bed at 10, at 9.30, you turn off the television, you put down your phone, you know, you, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, you do some stretching, maybe you read a book, really to help you sort of wind down from the And then during the day, it's really helpful if you get some sort of physical activity and exercise, and then also maintaining a nutrition diet, uh, a nutritious diet diet, sorry, that can help you with getting some quality sleep too. And then the last thing that you can do is reduce your fluid intake before bedtime, just because that's also going to make you have to wake up if you have to pee. So what happens when you're not getting that quality sleep? So you might actually be suffering from a sleep disorder. So a sleep disorder is basically like their sleep related difficulties that affect many people. Uh, and there are different types of them. So probably one that you've heard of is insomnia. And that is the inability to initiate or maintain sleep. It can also take the form of early morning awakening in which the individual like wakes up several hours early and isn't able to resume sleep. Sleeping. Insomnia definitely runs in my family because my dad has that early morning awakening issue. He'll be up at about 4, 4.30 a.m. every day, no matter what time he goes to bed. And then if you are, if you do have insomnia, you might experience excessive daytime sleepiness, which results in like some functional impairment throughout the day. And then in terms of treatment, so it can be treated with a combination of like sedative or hypnotic or like sedating antidepressant medications, along with behavioral techniques to promote regular sleep. Like my sister, which I'm sure she'd love me that I'm sharing this story, but my sister suffered from insomnia very badly. And so she actually did a sleep 
sleep study and they found out that she was waking up like dozens upon dozens of times throughout the night and so she actually had to go through a really rigorous training period where she no matter what she went to bed at the same time she got up at the same time she was watching like her food and and water and liquid intake and her caffeine intake changing up like medications because she was taking an allergy medication that pro that kind of didn't help with the insomnia. So there are things that are not related to medication that you can do to to work on treating this particular disorder. A second sleep disorder, which you might have seen, it's, it's sometimes depicted in media like TV and movies, but I don't think it's ever really depicted accurately, but it's narcolepsy. And so narcolepsy is characterized by excessive daytime sleepiness that's combined with sudden muscle weakness. And then the, the sudden muscle weakness can be elicited by strong emotion or surprise. So episodes of this disorder are often described as sleep attacks and may occur during unusual circumstances. Like it could happen when someone is exercising, for example. It's often seen as like people who just fall asleep at random and that and that's not quite an accurate depiction of that. Now for folks who have narcolepsy it can be treated with stimulant medications combined with behavioral interventions so things like scheduled naps throughout the day to help minimize the disruptiveness to their life. Third sleep disorder is actually called restless leg syndrome. I remember like seeing commercials for medication that treated this uh, a couple years ago but restless leg syndrome or RLS is characterized by an unpleasant creeping sensation often feeling like it's originating in the lower legs, but it's often associated with aches and pains throughout the legs. And it often can cause difficulty initiating sleep and then because it's relieved by movement of the legs, such as like walking or kicking. So one of the things that they think might cause it is abnormalities in uh, dopamine, which is a really common neurotransmitter that our, our brains produce. So to treat it, usually you can combine a medication to help correct the dopamine deficiency or abnormality, along with medicine to help promote like sleep continuity. And then a fourth type of sleep disorder is also fairly common. It's called sleep apnea. And so a lot of times people just sort of associate this with extreme snoring. And just because someone snores doesn't mean that they have sleep apnea, but snoring is a sign of sleep apnea, if that makes sense. So the difference is like persons with sleep apnea characteristically make periodic like gasping or snorting noises during their sleep and that causes it to be momentarily disrupted. So they can actually like stop breathing during these times. And so that's why it is, you know, a little bit dangerous. So those with the disorder can experience daytime sleepiness as their sleep is like usually interrupted and cannot or it may not feel restorative the way sleep should be. Treatment for it is actually dependent on the cause because there are a lot of different things that could cause it. So if there are other medical issues like congestive heart failure or a nasal obstruction, the disorder may resolve with treatment of those conditions actually. But probably the most common treatment would be using gentle air pressure that's administered during through typically in the form of a nasal continuous positive airway pressure device or CPAP machine. Um, and that's also effective in, the, in its treatment. And as an eruption of regular breathing or obstruction of the airway during sleep can pose like serious 
serious health complications. So sim- symptoms of sleep apnea should really be taken seriously. And so treatment should be sought, sh- uh, sought from a healthcare provider. And so like I mentioned earlier, like when my sister was having a problem, she had to go and do something called a sleep study. And so if you're finding that your sleep has been disrupted for whatever reason, it's very likely that they will have you go through something like that too. And that's actually where you go somewhere and stay overnight and they monitor how you sleep. So beyond uh, the sleep disorders, you know, the, the sleep health does play a role in the development and management of some different chronic diseases. So for example, research has found that um, insufficient sleep is linked to an increased risk for the development of type 2 diabetes. And then people with sleep apnea have also been found to be at an increase, increased risk for a number of cardiovascular diseases, notably hypertension, which is high blood pressure, uh, stroke, coronary heart disease, and irregular heartbeats. So it looks like sleep apnea and hardening of the arteries appear to have some common uh, physiological characteristics, and that further links it to cardiovascular disease. Uh, And then there's also a relationship between sleep and depression. So sleep disturbance has long uh, been seen as an important symptom of depression, but Recent research has indicated that uh, depressive symptoms may actually decrease once like sleep apnea has been effectively treated and sufficient sleep restored. So if someone is um, diagnosed with depression, it's important that you talk about sleep sufficiency and that symptoms of depression like be monitored among persons with a sleep disorder. So again, if you're finding that you're experiencing issues and need to talk to your healthcare provider, it's very helpful actually to keep a sleep diary for about 10 days beforehand to share with them. So things you'll, that you'll want to log in this journal is like what time you go to bed, what time or how long it takes you to go to sleep, what time you wake up, what time you get out of bed, when and if you take naps and how long those naps are. If you're exercising, like when you drink alcohol, when you drink caffeinated beverages, and then also keep in mind any medications, and these can be prescription medications or over-the-counter medications or supplements, and because th- those might also be causing you a disruption in sleep. I know that actually when I was a college first-year student, I had been taking a medication to help prevent headaches since I think I was in like the fifth grade. And then when I got to school, I started to experience this thing where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would be wide awake for several hours before falling back to sleep. And it turns out it was this medication that I had been on. It can cause insomnia. So I had to switch that medication. And then I was like I was able to restore like a normal sleep kind of schedule. So there's a lot of things that can have an effect on sleep. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for me. Thank you all for listening. Good luck next week on your final exams. You can do it. I believe in you. Take advantage of all the resources on campus to help you study um, and be successful in your finals. To all those who are graduating, congratulations. You did it. Best of luck to you in that next in that next chapter. But as this is my last episode of the semester, I will see you all in the fall and we'll catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesdays. Wednesdays.